Welcome in to episode six of the Ag Spray Equipment Podcast. This is Priming the Pump, and I'm your host, Jason Danley. Thank you very much for joining us for episode six. We'll get right into it. Episode six is a little bit different podcast than what we have done uh, in the previous iterations of this podcast, as we'll be talking cattle. Now, some of you may be looking at this and saying, well, ag spray equipment, you know, you sell agricultural sprayer equipment, you sell liquid handling equipment. Why, why are you talking to a cattle guy? Well, we're talking to a cattle guy because a, a good portion of our business actually deals in uh, storage tanks, liquid tanks, and liquid feed tanks. So as what you might not know about ag spray equipment is we do handle uh, a lot of pumps, a lot of tanks, a lot of hoses, if you will, and, and a lot of, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, apparatuses uh, for liquid feed. And we do have uh, a lot of customers that are, that are cattlemen, that are ranchers, um, that supply liquid feed uh, to their cattle, and also ones that just need water tanks for water storage to feed cattle. And then, as we all know, uh, a lot of uh, folks in the cattle industry, uh, farmers, ranchers, etc. you know, they've got row crop, they've got small grains. And so we're talking cattle. And this is a different sort of uh, guest today as we get ready to welcome in Casey Fitzsimmons. Now, some of you may be saying, who's Casey Fitzsimmons? Casey is a former NFL tight end who played for the Detroit Lions uh, in, in the mid-2000s, 02 to 09. And uh, he was undrafted out of college and played at a small college in Helena, Montana called Carroll College. Now, where life intersects here, uh, previous to working for Agsbury Equipment, I spent some time uh, covering college football and being a college football writer and broadcaster, hence why you hear my voice doing this podcast and not somebody else's in the company. So uh, I actually got to meet and, and have known Casey for a number of years since the early 2000s uh, when he was undrafted and, and went to the Detroit Lions. And I uh, did my first interview with him, shoot, 15, almost 20 years ago now uh, when he was just getting started with the Lions. And uh, he had a, a very good career uh, with Detroit, as I said, 02 to 09-ish, um, spent his entire career with one NFL team. And then upon his uh, retirement from football and, and and having played professional football, you know, he could have rode off into the sunset and did anything else. And he said, no, I, I'm, I'm too busy. I, I want to stay busy. I, I want to do something and I want to get back home. And so he, he chose to uh, go into the cattle industry. And you, you can Google uh, Casey Fitzsimmons and his name and kind of look at his, his college football and his uh, uh, professional football prowess. But uh, you'll also catch some articles about what he's doing now. And you know, he started uh, with a, a very small cattle operation with just uh, 30 cattle and uh, ha- has expanded that now uh, to 250, which we'll get to here uh, in the interview. We'll talk more about that and a few other things. So uh, it, it's an interesting guess because, you know, as, as, as I find most people in this world of, of uh, agriculture love football, love college football, love pro football. So here's a guy that, that played both, retired, and then decided not to sit on his butt and just, you know, milk out retirement, decided to raise a family in Montana, uh, decided to uh, grow a, a business on the side. And uh, so we get now ready to welcome into the podcast, Casey Fitzsimmons. And, and Casey, I appreciate you taking some time to come on and talk to us, uh, you know, from the farm, from the ranch there, which is uh, lo- located 
right outside Helena. I'm not real sure if we if we would call it uh, Helena or uh, Canyon Creek. Uh, thank you very much for coming on with us, Casey. Well, I go by Canyon Creek. Well, I call it Crick, but that's just because we're a little bit backwards out here. But um, we're about 25 miles west of uh, Helena on the east slope of the Continental Divide in a mountain canyon and right off the little prickly pear creek. And, uh, yeah, we love it out here. What, uh, I mean, I, I knew, obviously, you know, through your, your college football career and your, your professional career, uh, Montana was always home for you, and, and I don't think there's a person in the world that's surprised to see you come back. But but knowing your your upbringing, you know, kind of from uh, the High Line, northern part of Montana, what ma- what made you want to settle outside of Helena instead of, you know, maybe being even even back closer to home or family? You know, it it came down to a few things. I mean, we looked all over the state. Um, playing in the NFL gives you an opportunity to go and and buy some stuff, but you still have a budget and not really knowing, you know, much about the cattle industry. Um, we kind of fell into a pretty lucky deal. And I had a guy up the road that I became friends with, um, while playing and he ended up leasing the place and kind of became a mentor. And so it wasn't really anything particular about location because I love the whole state. I mean, you got the mountains on one side and you got the plains on the other and, and they both have their own beauty. Um, but we kind of wanted to settle in the mountains and, um, have some live water on the place. So that eliminated some, some, some places and, and, uh, but we, you know, settled out here just due to the fact of location and, and, uh, it had everything we wanted. Yeah. And, and having been through that area of Helena a few times and, and actually in the world I'm in now, you know, being out uh, representing ag spray equipment and going through uh, Montana, familiar with that area and beautiful country, as you mentioned. You know, you've got your your valleys, you got your, your you know your slopes of the mountains that you're up against. So it, it really is a very pretty country. Anybody that's, that's never uh, been out that way. Now, you, you mentioned something interesting there. You know, you kind of got into the place by you know getting to know a guy, and 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 as you mentioned, not knowing a whole lot about the world of cattle. You know, what, what made you decide to go the way of cattle? Because you had a little bit of an ag background or, you know, had been around some agriculture, obviously, growing up. You know, if I remember reading correctly about your, your father and, and kind of implement dealerships. But what made you decide just to go out on a whim and decide cattle was going to be the way to go? You know, I think everybody growing up is the Cowboys always been nostalgic. And, um, you know, they kind of go to the beat of their own drum, which I've always done. And you kind of get a, you know, I, I, I truly feel that, you know, you, you get out what you put in. And I'm a really big numbers guy. And, you know, the breeding, the percentages of wean weights and reading EPDs and all that stuff really, really intrigued me. And so the grain thing wasn't really, uh, the small grains wasn't really, it didn't intrigue me as much. I mean, I, I like the fact of farming and all that stuff, but... But it just wasn't going to keep me busy enough. I'm a busy person. I got to be doing something all the time. And and what a better way than than to, to ranch and raise cattle because it's a 24/7 type deal. And you know the other thing that drew me to the cattle is the the family aspect of it. You know being able to take your kids with you to ride and and move cattle around and brand and calve and fence and hay and all this stuff. I mean it just really implemented in, in, into the, 
the big picture of how I wanted to raise my children and it hasn't disappointed one bit. You know, obviously there's frustrations. There's things in this, this business that you can't control. And that's one of the things I had to learn. And because I've always been in control of my destination and in control of what I can and can't do. And, but you got mother nature and markets. And so those two things I can't control, but you can control your product that you put out there. You can control your reputation. Um, it, it all tied in together and, 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 and then to be able to, to breed animals and create a crap, uh, calf crop that, that you can bring to a, to a, a buyer and then follow it through to the feeders and then back into the packing house and see what kind of product you're raising and make tweaks to that, um, through your seed stock. And so it, it's been a, it's been a, you know, and it, it, honestly, it's a lot like football. It's a schedule based, you know, you got your spring, summer, falls and winter. And in each one of them seasons, you have certain things you have to get done. And so it was an easy adjustment um, as far as the work part, because I'm just a, a natural worker, um, which, you know, my father was the same way. The, the, you know, there's some learning curves with it. But at the end of the day, I think the main thing was is just asking questions, going to places, seeing how people are doing it, not critiquing them, but asking them, you know, why they're doing things a certain way and and the results they're getting. It's been fun. I mean, I, I truly enjoy this. And to be honest with you, I enjoy it more than football. Well, first of all, you well, I don't know. Maybe you get hit in the head as much or less. It depends on <laughs> probably the cattle and, and what you're exactly doing. But, I mean, it, there's a lot of similarities. And that's why I've always, you know, obviously, I, I you and I got to know one another from the, the college sports and professional sports, football, media world uh, that, that I previously did. But the, uh, I would very much agree with that, that, you know, the football instills so much into people that want to get into the world of agriculture because there's only so much that you can control. You know, your attitude, your effort, the, you know, the work that you put into it, you're going to get out of that. And, and whether or not, you know, somebody blows out an ACL or in, in the case that we're talking about now, the markets are up or markets are down, you can't control that. All you can do is control, you know, what you're putting into it. So uh, it, I, I sit here on the other end and listen to what you're saying and just kind of nod my head with the, the world that I'm in now of, uh, you know, agricultural uh, liquid handling and spraying equipment saying, yeah, you know, we, you can only, you know, do what you're supposed to do and, and hope that at the end of the day the, you know, the, the sales and, and, and the product works, its, uh, works itself out. Yeah, you know, and two is like I look at my cow herd as like a like a team, right? And so I'm the GM of this, and mm-hmm. so there is nothing really personal with these cows. Do I have my favorites? Absolutely, but if they, you know, bring in what I feel necessary to help us advance as an operation, then I make an easy choice and truck them 75 miles down the road to the sale barn, and they're they're gone, and and we add some other replacements into it. And so, you know, the football really prepared me for for making these decisions, you know, and um I think a lot of guys get caught up in numbers, but I'm I'm really caught up in production and percentages and how to do it economically and smart and financially fiscally responsible to make my operation a go. Um and we started out small, you know, I think we bought 30 head of cows at the beginning and, and we're up to 250 and out of grass. So I, you know, I think there's, you know, when you statistically look at cattle and look at um, percentages, you know, there's, there's a buffer zone, which I feel is like 600 head is like 
where you've got some built-in cushion to absorb your mother nature's and markets. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's, it's, I kind of view it as a football team. I've, you know, and I've been in the cutthroat business. I've been in the, the, and seen both sides of it. And that's kind of how we approach our operational, you know, we minimal input, um, but not taking anything away from the cow to be successful. And I think you see that a lot in, in organizations ran in the football world. Well, it's, uh, let's keep on kind of that football theme, you know, as, as a general manager of this team, uh, you and I were conversing a little bit last week to set up this, uh, you know, this, this conversation and, uh, you, you made an acquisition for the team. Uh, you know, would you consider this to be like that rookie backup quarterback or did you bring, or did you bring in a veteran with this bowl? I mean, where would you classify this in the world of, of football where, where, uh, the, uh, the sale last week took you and what you brought into the herd? So we, you know, we, I, I'm. EPDs, uh, you, can, you can talk to anybody, you know, in the Angus industry, and some will tell you they don't mean nothing. Some tell you they mean something. But at the end of the day, there's, you know, I, I, I build it on flesh, and then I go start looking at EPDs and picking them apart. Because without the appearance of what I'm looking for, the EPDs do not mean nothing to me. Because if if they have these big EPDs and the bull in the flesh looks moderate to average, you know, as a seed stock, as a seed stock bull, I'm not interested, but this bull is, is, is unique. And we're kind of going and taking a little bit of a risk. It's a Corgi boy by Dun Louise and it's a Scottish bull, but the carcass, the volume, I mean, he just brings so much to our herd. We're real moderate uh, with feed efficiency. We're, we're carcass based with, you know, the maternal side of it. But we really are chasing the, the the really efficient feed cow that produces a calf that that goes down to Kansas, Nebraska, Colorado, and performs in the feedlot at a high percentage of daily gain, and does it without having to put a bunch of input into it. And I think that that this is what this bull does. With that being said, I mean I view this bull as a first round pick. It's got a lot of potential, but we still have two years to figure out you know, where we're at with it, because that's really where you find out what you got in this bowl. He may get cut or he may get, you know, a second deal. So <laughs> it's, 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 you know, I think that's the excitement about ranching is that, I mean, it's always next year. Like I really, you know, I can't wait for these next year calves. I think uh, if I ever get to the point where it's like, oh, you know, I don't know. And I'm, I don't get that excitement. Then it's probably time for me to step away. Well, it, it, it certainly I can hear it in your voice, the excitement and, and just the knowledge base. I mean, it it's crazy for me to think, you know, probably the last time, last time we talked is uh, when you went into the the small college uh, football hall of fame for the NAI. Um, you had, had just done the award presentation, whatever, at the at the coaches association, um, and at that time you'd had a little bit of time in ranching, uh, but but since then, I mean, yeah, you you've had, you know eight, nine, ten years of it, and uh, it certainly sounds like that uh, it, it is the new passion for you. If, if all things stay the way it is now, you're certainly uh, uh, seem like you're going to have a few more years doing it if, if excitement and passion is, is what's driving you for this. You know, and I, it's just so it's so rewarding. And, and all politics aside, I mean, the, the biggest thing that, you know, my goal is right now is to really be an ambassador for egg because I think that we have lost sight of of how important 
our small grain growers and our our cattlemen are to our country. I mean, they put food on the table and and I think, you know, generally speaking, most ranchers, cattlemen are reclusive people who just kind of go about the daily grind, do their thing and 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 don't really um promote their industry because they just kind of want to be left alone and do their thing. And so now with, you know, me getting into this has been just trying to educate people, you know, and, and showing them, you know, how important these cattle are, um, one, for a food source, but two, environmentally. These cattle, you know, do a lot for our environment. And so when, when, when I say that, I mean, we go and look at, um, we run in, you know, elk country and, and deer, and and to watch the the wild game come in after these cattle and into new growth grass and and flourish just as well. I mean, these two animals can live together and and, and both can thrive. And and um, you know, I see now it's just like it's they want to pit two things against each other. When in act in in all actuality, if people would just take the time to look and watch and listen and take, remove the politics out of it, they would see that. And so, you know, that's kind of our next step is, is promoting good, healthy beef and, and promoting young people to come and take a look at what we're doing, you know, the work and time and thought that we put into this. It's not just turn cows out and and, and go rope and choke and, and, <laughs> and do cowboy stuff. It, this is about, you know, putting a product out there and, and feeding our country. I mean, it's pretty, it's a pretty big deal. And so that's, you know, the next step we're taking and inviting schools out to come out and see, you know, the birth of a calf, because I mean, I'm sure you at one point, everybody wants to be a cowboy and wants to, you know, ranch and, you know, all my friends just love coming out here and watching and working and, and doing stuff. So getting that promoted and, 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 getting people involved is, is a big part of, you know, our operation too. Well, I, I would absolutely agree, you know, growing up, you know, you're around it and, and maybe for me, uh, you know, having grown up on a, on a dairy farm, you know, all I could ever think of, you know, when I was 18 years old was all right, how's, how soon does college football start? How fast can I get out of here? Cause I don't ever want to come back and do this again. I'll never, I'll never do this. I want to do all this other stuff. And then as you kind of get older and mature, you kind of look back at that and you say, wow, that was kind of had the life. And, you know, uh, happy for for my dad and my grandpa and my family to provide that for me because I look around at, at some people these days and not that they had a bad upbringing, but I happen to think like, wow, if you just for a summer had to wake up every morning, uh, milk cows and then go do that all day and then at night be back to do it again and then go work out for football uh, you, you might be a different person, and I think that's what you're trying to ultimately get to people here that that don't get that opportunity to to have the education of what really you know raising cattle is like and being on a ranch is like. I mean, it's it's like you said, not just going out and, and, and roping and choking. There there's a lot of stuff that goes along with it, and and a lot of care not only for the cattle but also for the environment along the way. Because if you ruin the environment the, that you've got there, then that's going to negatively impact what you're trying to do uh, on the cattle end as well. You know, the environment's the key. And I think when it comes to environmentalist, and I'm not saying this because I am a rancher. I'm saying this because it's true. I don't think there's any better stewards of the land than the cattle rancher because you can't go in there and abuse ground and, and stay in this business. It does, doesn't happen. You can't go in and run 100 head of cows on a on a 40-cow allotment. 
it doesn't work because at the end of the day, you might get away with it for a year, but you will eventually be out of business. And so, you know, the environment plays such a big part. And I don't think we get enough say in the environment. I, you know, and you see people attacking cow admission, carbon admissions, and it's like, man, <laughs> it's, it's frustrating because there's just no educated, it's not even an educated comment. And so for me, when I go to say to, to be a, to, to um, educate people, because some people will listen to, say, a politician say something like that and believe it, but yet we need to be more vocal about it and get it out because there's truth to it. And a lot of people that are making these statements have, you know, one, no background in, in what they're speaking of, and two, honestly don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> well, and I think, I think we see that, you know, a lot, not to, you know, b- belabor the point too much, but we, we see that a lot in, in, in the entire agricultural industry. And, and, and I just, I just say, insert whatever the industry here. And, and since, you know, you being a former football player and, and me working in that world too, I'll, I'll make the equation to that. You know, it, it's like people that don't watch football and don't understand the game of football you know, go into a head NFL coach and saying, here's what I really think is going to work for you because I, I, I drew it up on paper. It seems like that's the right thing to do. And they just have no idea. Same thing in the world that we're currently in. Yeah. You know, it's just the armchair quarterback. And, and I think if we just stick to what we're good at and I, I just don't get the attack on, I mean, in all honesty, and I can say this wholeheartedly is that the egg industry is the backbone of this country, hands down. And it's not even up for discussion. Um, yeah, in, in any group, you've got people that aren't stewards of the land. And you've got, you know, people that that may not like some egg producers. But that's a small percentage, you know what I mean? Because they don't stay in business. And so the egg industry is cutthroat. Um, we compete against each other in every aspect for grass markets, dollars. And so... I think that's where you find a little bit of a hiccup within the industry amongst each other is, is just due to the fact that we're always competing with each, with each other. Now, with that being said, I think the government has also screwed up our fair markets too, you know, and if they would just stay out of the way and let us do our thing and quit uh, regulating and restricting us, that we wouldn't have any issues. And, you know, obviously the regulations in some meat cutting industry as far as safety has a uh, safety uh, food safety is needed, but we've also found out that we have a huge problem with the packing industry because when the pandemic hit, we found out that um, our food source can be cut off effective immediately, and that's that's scary. And why it's not being talked about, it's even scarier. So you know, we've been writing senators, I've been getting involved politically, just in, in Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter. I need a voice for somebody who's going to stand up uh, for the producers. And I think in ag, I'm, or in small grains, I'm not as, as versed, but you're seeing companies own and, and, and China and Japan dictate our markets. And, and as you notice, they attack um, our small grains and, and our ranchers you know, during election season and, and, and try to hold them hostage because they know that that's the, the backbone of this country. Yeah. It is, uh, always interesting when, uh, the, the, the world of politics kind of starts, uh, you know, I, I guess lack of better way of doing, it, cause I'm, I'm, you know, can some, sometimes consider myself 
politically ignorant, but then at times I, I just like to pretend that. But it, it's always interesting when uh, we're in the world of politics and they got to try to figure out, uh, well, hey, how can we really get to people? And, and it always seems like uh, the world of ag is one of the uh, the first ones attacked, whether that's, you know, years ago uh, with the uh, Corn prices uh, and supply and demand of those going up and down to where we are, you know, like you mentioned during the pandemic with uh, with the price of beef going up and, and knowing uh, that there was beef out there that that could be slaughtered that that wasn't be. But uh, all of a sudden pricing went up. So but hey, that's that's the, the world of politics. And we might <laughs> see we we'll leave that for other people that are incredibly intelligent to try to help us figure that out. But I do think what you're trying to do, you know, in your world is, is inspiring because I mean, let's face it. You're a a former NFL tight end who I'm sure, you know, you're not wired to not do anything, but you didn't exactly go into a cush job. I mean, you've got, uh, if I remember right, you've got what, four kids now, a wife, you got the farm, uh, you got 250 head of cattle. You're you're calving right now. I mean, you ever? I know you want to be busy, man, but uh, the, you took one of the toughest jobs a guy possibly could uh, in in a post athletic career. You know, it's, yeah, I love work, uh, and I love the self you know fulfillment of going out and accomplishing. And I think more importantly, the thing that uh, I that I'm most appreciative of you know this profession that I do is. To my kids get to allow to watch me work. And so I got to watch my parents work. And I think it really installed a, a drive in me. And I, you know, I'm, I'm in hopes that it does it with my children. And, you know, it, this stuff is fun, you know, and I think, you know, it goes back to the old saying, it's, it's not a job if you, if you love it. And so, I mean, I don't look at it as a job. I look at it as, is, is, I mean, I love this. I, I absolutely love it. I mean, yeah, I have my moments and, and whatnot, but this is, I wouldn't trade this for anything in the world. I, you know, I've had opportunities to go coach and do stuff like that, but that's just not how I want to raise my family. And so this is, this is, I get more gratification out of this or a compliment out of someone telling me about my cattle than I do about anything I've done in football or sports. It's yours. You know, you you built it, you made it what it is. You you had to put the work into it, not to say you, you didn't uh, do that athletically, but this is truly something that, you know, uh, you had to build from the ground up. So I can imagine that uh, is extremely satisfying. You know, so it's kind of funny. You know, my dad, he, he, before he passed, I mean, when I got into this, he's like, oh, "You're doing what?" <laughs> you know, because I mean, not a lot of guys will do, like you. I mean, they don't jump into ranching. It's not like something that you know you do and. And then I'm so uh, controlling as far as, you know, the operational stuff. I got high expectations. So, you know, I do a lot of it myself with my family. And so, I mean, I'm, we stay pretty busy. So as I, as I think about ranching, I think about what you do right now. And I've got, I've kind of got the dumb hacky questions now, so bear with me. Uh, so, <laughs> no worries. all right. So quarterback wise with the lions, you, you played with Joey Harrington, Mike McMahon, Jeff Garcia, John Kitna, Dan Orlowski, Dante Culpepper, John Kitna again uh, in the 2008 season, Drew Stanton, and then were you uh, were you with the Lions the first year that Stafford came on, or or was that the first year that you were uh, done with the Lions? I can't remember. Yeah, his rookie year was my last year. Okay, so you you played a little bit of ball with all those guys. Which one is most likely to come to the ranch and and help for a week? 
and enjoy it. <laughs> Not just take it as a challenge, but say, no, man, I want to do that, and I don't want anybody to bother me. You know, I think I think they would all kind of get a kick out of it, to be honest with you. And that, that's a great question because I've never really, I guess, asked any of them. But I think that they all would. You know, they're, I think all every single one of those names that you mentioned, you know, I think like Mike McMahon would be afraid to get a little dirty. But uh, <laughs> I think Stafford would jump right in and, and Kid and I know would jump right in. He's a central Washington boy. And then uh, Culpepper, I think, would love to do it just to, to see the, the difference. And, you know, to do something different. Yeah, I think that they would all do it, to be honest with you. Well, that's, you know, it's kind of the quarterback mentality. You know, hey, you don't, you're not going to be able to challenge me with anything I'm not going to try to do. Then what about, you know, just guys coming out? Have you had any of the, the former pro teammates out? I mean, I know for a fact a lot of the pro, or excuse me, a lot of your former uh, college teammates have been out, you know, just kind of proximity and obviously friendships there. But, uh, any any other the old pro guys make the uh, the trip out to uh, Montana yet to see what uh, you got going on? Oh yeah, I got my annual visitors. You know, like uh, our left tackle Jeff Backus, uh, he comes out and and hunts every year. Um, Brock Gutierrez, he was a guard, uh, he comes out every year. Uh, Tony Scheffler uh, comes out every year and bow hunts. And so there's a group of you know there's five or six guys, seven guys that have been out and and you know, mostly, you know, uh, around hunting season because there's just so much to do to end fish and, and enjoy the great Montana outdoors. So yeah, it's fun having them out there and, and they, you know, they jump right in and when we got to move cows or do something. So it's, it's good. And, and, and the, you know, the best thing is they really appreciate what we do. They get it, they understand it. And, you know, at the end of the day, we always have to throw on a ribeye or a T-bone for them <laughs> and, and pay them and, and meat instead of cash. So, well, you know, it, in some ways, you know, it, it, it's good because you are getting it right from the source, but in the other way, I'm sure those guys, they're not, you know, none of those names you mentioned, am I thinking in my head, Oh, that guy probably went vegan. Now I don't, don't really think that that probably happened. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. Well, when I say throw a ribeye, I should have used plural. It should have been ribeyes <laughs> for most of those guys. <laughs> there you go. That is awesome. Uh, so, and now, all right, so the other obvious hacky question, and I know there's a lot of people that, you know, just within our company that listen to this podcast, and then, you know, some of our other fans out there that would yell at me if I didn't ask this question. And this is, uh, I, I've talked to several people from Montana, and I usually get an eye roll when I ask this, but uh, the TV show Yellowstone, obviously very popular. It is obviously, uh, you know, ranch-based, and you, you know what I'm talking about. So, in the world that you're in now, what what are your thoughts on the the television show Yellowstone, and uh, will we see you in uh, season four? <laughs> <laughs> Take it for what it's worth. I have never seen an episode of Yellowstone. Oh, there you go. So, yeah, everybody. It's funny because uh, a buddy of mine that comes out with Tony, his name is Ryan Bassell. He he's a music guy in Nashville. He's always calling me uh, Sheriff Dutton, and so. <laughs> I never know what he's talking about and just kind of laugh it off, but I've never seen it. I'm not a big TV guy unless it's like, uh, like, a uh, Annie or, you know, kind of a, an American pickers guy. I think I'm an old soul There you go. and I just don't have time to, to watch, but it's obviously gets a lot of buzz because there's, you know, a lot of people talk about, it. I think it's even filmed over in the Gallatin Valley. So I haven't seen it. And, uh, and in all honesty, 
Maybe someday I'll sit down and watch it, but TV is just not my thing. Well, uh, with 250 head of cattle, four kids, <laughs> all the other things you have going on, least surprising thing I learned in this interview that you you don't have a whole lot of time for TV, probably other than <laughs> the uh, the 5:30 a.m. to 6 a.m. local news and weather report, and then whatever comes on at night when you're actually there to probably get home and settle down for a little bit. Absolutely. Well, that's excellent. Well, you know. Casey, I, I appreciate you, you know, taking some time to, you know, just talk a little ag with us and, and, and tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what you've been up to now and what you got going. I guess last question, uh, how, how has calving been going this spring and, uh, you know, how's everything looking there? It's, it's going good. You know, we fell into, there was that cold snap, um, end of February and, um, we've lived that, that nightmare. And so we really pushed our calving date back and AI into, calve the first part of March, you know, because traditionally and, you know, those cold snaps are generally a day or two um, in February and January. They can set in here for, for months. And so we pushed it back and everything has gone really smooth, knock on wood. Um, you know, and I, I guess I, at times I feel it's a testament to the bulls we pick, the cows we keep. And, um, to, you know, I think the easier they have them, and I'm not saying low birth weight, I'm just saying good built cattle, mm-hmm. um, the easier calving is, and, and you let them do their thing and, and let Mother Nature run its course. Um, you know, out of the heifers, I think we've had to assist one, and we went on a, we kind of, I was a little nervous about it because we went with a um, an outcross bull and, and tried something different, and we're always trying to evolve in that aspect. So there is a little bit of a gamble there, but our cows did what they were supposed to do. And, and, uh, you know, it's going good. The weather's holding, we've got moisture, there's going to be green grass. And like I was telling you earlier, before we started the podcast, we're one day closer to green grass. And I think that's how, as a rancher, we look at everything and, and, you know, get through today and, and not worry about yesterday or tomorrow until it's there. So, it's going good. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's fun to watch, you know, watching cows be mothers and, and watching them take care of their calves and, and then obviously watching them grow throughout the summer and then getting them to the scale and, and getting your one paycheck a year <laughs> instead of the one I was getting every 16 or 17 weeks. Yeah. Well, see, you know, it's it just, you, you slowly go backwards. Growing up, you think like, oh, I'm going to get paid every two weeks or once a month. And it turns into only, you know, 17 weeks of the year. And now it's just one time a year. It's much more efficient. You only got to do it once, right? Yeah, we always <laughs> just look at it as like, am I going to get enough to do it again next year? You know, so uh, uh, this this stuff is fun. You know, we we put up a lot of hay and that's kind of our bread and butter and besides the cattle it's fun and and i just hope god keeps blessing me you know every year to to be able to get up in the morning every day and and get up and do this do this job and i absolutely love it and i really appreciate you you asking me to do this and being able to to reach out to other people and they can hear my story he is casey fitzsimmons former nfl tight end and now rancher Canyon Creek, Montana, just outside of Helena. And, and, and for anybody that listened to, you know, our interview uh, with Casey, you could tell salt of the earth guy, hard worker, 
Uh, not the stereotypical, what's that NFL guy doing now, just spending his money on whatever. No, no, he's he's ranching, and he's he's putting in probably more hours or at least the same amount of hours he did uh, when he was a professional athlete. So uh, really appreciate Casey coming on. If you ever get a chance to kind of Google a little bit more on his story, you certainly should. Casey is a fantastic individual, and I'm sure he's one in this podcast that we'll be uh, checking in with down the road, and I, I certainly think... Uh, just from the sounds of it, uh, we will uh, we will not be seeing him fall off the face of the earth. We'll be seeing him uh, becoming more and more active in the world of agriculture, especially in uh, the state of Montana. Well, that's going to do it for the show this week. A little extended version, longer than what we usually go, but when the conversation is is good, uh, we certainly keep it going. And, and after we you know shut off the recording, there probably talk to Casey for another 20, 30 minutes just about. Uh, a lot of different stuff, uh, you know, going on in, in Montana and the world of ag. So great guy, great interview. Appreciate you uh, checking it out and learning a little bit about his story. As in life and in pumping, always remember to prime your pump. You never want to run dry, overheat, or cause damage when you don't have to. Stay efficient and work hard. So make sure your pump is primed. This has been Priming the Pump from Ag Spray Equipment.